0: We are in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians together this week. This is day one of our look at this chapter, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 11 today, because these verses, when taken all together, they help us to understand, what do you do when Christians disagree? And not just some little disagreement about what restaurant you should go to together after small group or after church, but a really radical disagreement that has you at opposite ends of the pole, that has you feeling like I can never talk to that person again. And in fact, I've got to resolve some things with that person. Maybe it's a money issue. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's a partnership issue. But you just cannot seem to agree with each other. What do you do when that happens? It was happening in Corinth. And because it was happening and they were, they were going in some bad directions, Paul says, here's what you do. He tells them three things to do. First, he says to them in verses 1 to 6, he says, number one, judge between yourselves and the church. Don't get somebody outside involved. Judge between yourselves and the church. Listen to what he says, verses 1 to 6. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? how much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. First thing that Paul says to this church is, why do you turn to those who have less spiritual wisdom to judge the matter of your spiritual relationships? Now, as we read this, don't take each other to court. I understand there are lots of questions about this, so let's deal with them first. First of all, he's talking here about a dispute between two individuals. He's not talking about a dispute between two businesses or two countries. There are other very strong scriptures that apply to integrity and how we should act in those situations. But this particular scripture has to do with two individuals who are arguing with each other. They were going to court over hurts that they'd done to each other in the church. Paul says, that's got to stop. This isn't figuring out some financial situation. This is you hurt me, I hurt you, and we're going to go to court over it. The other big question that people have about this is what about divorce? Does this mean that a Christian should never get a lawyer involved in a divorce? Well, first, obviously, God hates divorce, and we pray and hope that it would never happen. But what if it does? Well, there is Christian litigation possible. There's a possibility of actually doing what Paul says here and going to another believer and letting them be a judge in this. But even as you're doing that, you have to realize that a marriage is more than just a relationship. There's also a contract with the state involved. So at some point, you have to get involved with what to do with that contract. You see, we tend to get caught up with, well, maybe it doesn't mean this or it doesn't mean this. And by doing that, we we lose the larger issue here. And the larger issue is this. I've seen this happen hundreds of times. I find that when believers get mad at each other, They often tend to go to an unbeliever or to an immature believer first to resolve the conflict. Someone who will agree with you in your own immaturity. Someone who will agree with you in your own anger or your own desire for revenge. The last person you want to go to is someone who has wisdom. Someone who will tell you to forgive. Someone who will tell you to go in the right direction. So you look for the person who will give you the wrong advice. That's what they were doing in Corinth. And that's what we have to watch out for doing. See Paul as he writes says realize who you are. He says you're saints. I don't know if you knew this, you are a saint. A saint isn't just someone who like ascends to this high ecclesiastical privilege not in the New Testament. Every Christian is called a saint. It simply means set apart. We're all set apart for his purposes. And here he says saints, you're going to judge. You're going to judge the world. Now, just last week we talked about the fact that God's the only judge. We're not the judge. So When he says we're going to judge the world here, it takes into account what we just read last week. We're not the judge, but we are serving God as the judge. We're involved in it in some way. I don't know how, but I do know this. We're going to have a lot more responsibilities in heaven than we can imagine. We're going to judge the world. We're going to judge angels. I do know this. When the Bible says that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, we are brothers of Christ in heaven, there is responsibility, there is opportunity that we have in heaven to serve God that is just going to be the most amazing thing for all eternity. So the first thing that Paul says is, in light of who you are, don't take these to other people, begin with one another, judge this with one another, judge between yourselves in the church. The second thing he says is this, and there's a dispute with another believer, realize that there are more important issues than you being proven right. Now, I know you hate to hear that. I hate to hear that. But it's what Paul says. Realize that there are more important issues than you being proven right. Listen to verses 7 and 8. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. I know, as Americans especially, this is very difficult for us to hear. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? We don't let anybody wrong us, we don't let anybody cheat us. And Paul is not talking here about letting somebody walk all over you or take advantage of you. He's saying there are often more important considerations. And if for the sake of you being proven right, you go before a court and you show that court that the church is not the place you wanna be, Jesus is not the one you wanna follow. You've just affected you've just that judge for eternity. So Paul says, why not rather be wronged? Sometimes in life, even when you're wronged, even when you know you're right, even when you know you could be proven right, you have to let it go. Why? For the greater good. Not for your greater good even or their greater good, but the greater good of the gospel, the greater good of your integrity, the greater good of letting go of your bitterness. Why not rather be wronged? Now, I understand there are some situations in life where this does not apply, and Paul is not talking about a situation of abuse here that would continue if he did not bring it up. Paul is not talking here about all those kinds of situations. He's talking about somebody who's upset because somebody has hurt them. They've done something to them that they feel offended by. And Paul says, sometimes you just have to realize, I'm going to just have to be offended. I'm going to have to let it go. Why not rather be wrong? I've met so many people who have lived all of their lives trying to get right on the right side of some bitterness, and they've become more and more bitter because of it. If they just at the beginning said, I was wronged, I'm going to let it go, I'm going to put it in God's hands, their life would not have been torn apart by what happened to them. So Paul says there are more important issues than proving yourself right or wrong many times. We all know that, but the scripture needs to remind you of that for new strength. The third thing that Paul says you and I are to do when there are disputes among us is we need to realize who we really are. When there's an argument in the church, when there's an argument between another believer, realize who you both are. Who are we? Listen to verses nine to 11. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. In these verses, Paul says the wicked is what some of you were. In fact, the wicked is what all of us were before we came to know Christ. And he gives a list of some sins, and these are all sins. Sexual immorality is a sin. Idolatry is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Prostitution is a sin. Stealing is a sin. Being greedy is a sin. Slandering is a sin. And Paul doesn't really distinguish between them here. One's greater, one's lesser. He says it's all sin. It's all wickedness. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And because of that, Paul says, we will not inherit God's kingdom. Now, many of us read this and we think, well, I'm out then. I mean, these things that are listed here, I've done one, two, three of these things, four, five, some of us could list all of them. So how could I be a part of God's kingdom? Once you came to know Jesus Christ, your identity changed, who you are changed in the eyes of God. Now, it may not have changed immediately to you. It's changing slowly but surely. But in the eyes of God, immediately, he no longer saw you as wicked. Immediately, he forgave your sin and covered your sin. Immediately, he saw you as what verse 11 talks about. He saw you as washed. He cleansed away your sin. He washed it away. He saw you as sanctified. That word means set apart. That word means holy. It's the same word as the word holy. He made you holy immediately. Now, you don't feel holy and everything you do isn't holy yet, but God sees you that way. He justified you. Justified means to be declared not guilty. It's done. It's finished. These are all past tense words. We are washed. We are sanctified. We are justified. That's the way God now sees you. Paul is saying here, you are a different person now because of who you are in Christ. You see, if you see yourself as still the same as before you became a believer, then you'll do things just the same. But if you see yourself as radically changed now that you're a believer, you'll do things radically differently. Even though you have the same circumstances, you are now a different person. And so you can grow through those circumstances instead of being defeated by them. Even though you have the same feelings as you had before you were a believer, you are now a different person. And so you can be directed by the truth of God's love instead of driven by negative emotions even though you have the same temptations as you had before you were a believer. That doesn't change once you became a Christian. You are now a different person. And so now you have the power to say yes to God and no to those temptations. When we become believers, we want God to change our circumstances, to change our feelings, to change our temptations. And that, we think, will cause us to be a different person. But he doesn't do it that way. He changes us. He changes you so that you have a new power to handle your circumstances and your feelings and your temptations in a new way. Now, do you do it the right way, God's way every time? No, I don't. It's many times three steps forward and two steps back in growing as a Christian. But Paul is reminding us here, you have a new power. And so when you have a dispute or any other thing going on between you and another believer, or between you and God, or between you and a temptation, you realize who you really are. That's where you start. You are a new believer with a new power, a new creation in God. That's what you hang on to. Now, as we pray together today, I'd like to hang on to that truth together. Lord Jesus, we ask that this day you'd help us to hang on to the truth that you have made us new. We may not see it yet or feel it yet, but it's the truth. We believe it. We trust in it because because of who you are. So help us to begin to live out the truth of who you have already made us to be. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.